We are back. And, um, you know, I hate to be a complainer. No, you don't. No, I do. I, I hate to be a complainer. But uh, I was driving to work uh, Wednesday morning listening to, I have to admit, another radio station. And it was among the Clear Channel family of stations, which, as you may well know, are famous for being right of center. I was listening to a couple of these, uh, well, I don't know, news team type people. They were were reporting on the president's speech in Cairo, which was, of course, uh, addressing the Muslim world and long anticipated by many people in the world of Islam. And as one might expect, there was a bit of a slant on the news, which was that, uh, well, you know, well, it it was summarized by the following. You people have written into us to give us your response to Obama's speech, and it breaks down as follows. 61% of the listeners said, well, I I don't know that he's speaking for America on this. He certainly doesn't speak for me. 31% characterized it as pandering to the Muslim world. And 6% saw saw it as a positive step forward. Which, frankly, reminded me of why I got into doing radio which was that I felt that anyone should be able to come forward and do better than the kind of stuff that was being served up on a plate of talk radio. And uh, nine years later, it's hard to believe it's been nine years, but nine years later, I believe we've succeeded. We try to avoid having a political agenda on this program. We try and actually do follow that rule of we report, you decide. Yeah, we've got opinions, But uh, no one owns us. No one tells us what we can say or can't say, within reason, of course, per uh, the rules of the Federal Communication Commission and common sense. I guess what I'm getting to through a roundabout method is the fact that it's wonderful to have a resource like this station. It might be a good time to also thank you, dear listener, for your contributions, which have made all of this possible. But back to Obama. This nation has been very ill-served by what, uh, what has been broadcast on our airwaves. I'm not sure that Clear Channel uh, station actually even broadcast much of what the president had to say, but was, of course, willing to talk about the reaction of people to it. And I guess one hopes that they heard it somewhere else, which is actually, I think, pretty unlikely. But I got home, pulled up the speech, and, and read it. And it was a damn good speech. And it said a lot of things that should have been said a while ago, actually. Israeli interests in the West Bank and Gaza, security and otherwise, can be accommodated in a settlement based on Resolution 242. Forswear annexation. Stop settlement activity. Oh, no, wait. Actually, that's a speech given 20 years ago by James Baker to IPAC here in the United States. Boy, I wonder what approval rating that would have got on Clear Channel. Actually, what Obama had to say in the same area was, we cannot impose peace. But privately, many Muslims recognize that Israel will not go away. Likewise, many Israelis recognize the need for a Palestinian state. It is time for us to act on what everyone knows to be true. Writing for Reuters India, Steve Holland noted, Obama's foray into the Middle East comes far earlier in his presidency than that of his predecessors Bill Clinton and George W. Bush, who waited until late in their terms to make a major push and found themselves disappointed at the outcome. Noted Holland, 
While direct and frank, Obama struck an empathetic tone with Muslims in seeking what he called a new beginning with them, trying to move beyond tensions left by the Bush administration's war in Iraq. In an op-ed piece in the New York Times, Roger Cohen, and we want to thank Millie for sending us this, noted, The Jewish state needs to be challenged by its inseparable ally if it is to achieve the security it craves. Obama is speaking on a significant date. June 4th is the day before the outbreak of the 1967 war that led to the 42-year occupation of the West Bank. UN Resolution 242, invoked by Baker 20 years ago, called for the withdrawal of Israeli armed forces from territories occupied in the recent conflict. It has, with the exception of Gaza, been ignored. Israel, of course, is only a, a small subplot of, the, of, of, this, of this speech, which I think I should excerpt from a bit. I've come here to Cairo to seek a new beginning between the United States and Muslims around the world, one based on mutual interest and mutual respect, and one based upon the truth that America and Islam are not exclusive and need not be in competition. Instead, they overlap and share common principles, principles of justice and progress, tolerance, and the dignity of all human beings. I do so recognizing that change cannot happen overnight. I know there's been a lot of publicity about this speech, but no single speech can eradicate years of mistrust, nor can I answer in the time that I have this afternoon all the complex questions that brought us to this point. But I'm convinced that in order to move forward, we must say openly to each other the things we hold in our hearts and that too often are said only behind closed doors. There must be a sustained effort to listen to each other, to learn from each other, to respect one another, and to seek common ground. As the Holy Quran tells us, be conscious of God and speak always the truth, which was greeted with applause. A little later, he noted, I consider it a part of my responsibility as President of the United States to fight against negative stereotypes of Islam wherever they appear. But that same principle must apply to Muslim perceptions of America. Just as Muslims do not fit a crude stereotype, America is not the crude stereotype of a self-interested empire. The U.S. has been one of the great sources of progress that the world has ever known. We were born out of revolution against an empire. We were founded upon the ideal of all men created equal. We've shed blood and struggled for centuries to give meaning to those words within our borders and around the world. This is quite a long speech, and I don't want to repeat it in its entirety, but I did like another section a little bit lower in it which was, Islam has a proud tradition of tolerance. We see it in the history of Andalusia and Cordoba during the Inquisition. I saw it firsthand as a child in Indonesia, where devout Christians worshipped freely in an overwhelmingly Muslim country. That is the spirit we need today. People in every country should be free to choose and live their faith based upon the persuasion of the mind and the heart and the soul. Anyway, it's a damn good speech. I would, uh, if you didn't have a chance to hear it, I hope you will look it up on the web and read it. Considering uh, the, the tone of this country for the past few years, that uh, Barack Obama could say this is, is actually quite marvelous. I have noticed in the past uh, you know, decade or so, there's a lot of people on the right, people who consider themselves to be devout Christians, that uh, regard Islam as, I don't know, probably as Pope Urban II did in the 11th century, as a bunch of infidels that need to be routed out and crushed, or, of course, converted to Christianity. Anyway, uh, stuff like this makes me very optimistic about our future. While I personally have not traveled, uh, well, actually, I guess I, I can't say I have traveled extensively in the Muslim world. 
Well, I guess it's kind of a, a duh thing to say, but you know, but the truth is people are the same everywhere. I, I was treated as well and with as much kindness by, by the citizens of Islamic countries as I was in, in, in countries that are, that are Christian. And again, I think for most of you, that's kind of a duh statement, but uh, you know, you, you, you would not know this to, to hear some of the things I've heard in the past decade from people who look at Islam, like I say, as, as people did back in the time of the Crusades. All right, we've got about five minutes left on the show. Let's do one obituary. Herbert York passed away last week in the field of nuclear weapons and research. York helped build both the atomic and hydrogen bombs and later devoted himself to tr- and later devoted himself to trying to curb the arms he helped create. The outbreak of World War II, York was enrolled at the University of Rochester and uh, recalled later that my physics professors began to disappear one by one into secret war laboratories. By 1943, he joined them on the Manhattan Project. He noted in 1978, not only did we complete the project, but we ended the war. York earned his doctorate and at 28, at age 28, became director of the Lawrence Livermore Laboratory at the University of California at Berkeley, where he worked with the Atomic Energy Commission on aspects of the hydrogen bomb. He was later director of the Pentagon's Advanced Research Projects Agency. That's ARPA, the people that gave you the internet. But the New York Times noted in his obituary, even as he rose in the military-industrial establishment, he was growing uneasy. He gradually became concerned that the U.S. and Soviet Union were deploying more weapons, yet becoming less secure in the process. Beginning in the 1960s, he spent the rest of his life as an anti-nuclear activist, advising six presidents on the subject. JFK appointed him to the Arms Control and Disarmament Agency in 1962, and 17 years later, Jimmy Carter made him head of the U.S. delegation that sought a comprehensive test ban with the Soviet Union. He was uh, disappointed by the failure of those talks, saying the world situation just wouldn't support it. But he persevered and in 1983 founded the Institute on Global Conflict and Cooperation at the University of California at San Diego. This has organized research and seminars on conflict resolution and promoted international efforts to avoid war. York was also the first chancellor of UC San Diego, and among his other honors were the Enrico Fermi Award presented by President Clinton in the year 2000. Now, adding to our list of uh, people we'd like to have on this program, we'll have to put someone um, from the Institute on Global Conflict and Cooperation at UCSD. I did have the pleasure of interviewing Joseph Cirincioni over at Insight on KXJZ. He actually came from the Center for American Progress in Washington, D.C., but a similar group looking uh, to do what they can to disarm. And uh, that is surely a topic we will return to in the not-too-distant future. That about wraps it up for today's show, however. Our thanks to our good pal Paul Dorn and, of course, as always, Will Durst. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. I'm Douglas Everett. See you next week at the same time.